0: Thanks for checking out this message from Radiant Life Church. Grab your Bible and a pad of paper and a pen. Let's dive in. Well, good morning. My name is Josh. I'm the Spiritual Formations Pastor here at Radiant Life Church, and I get to be with you as we continue our series journeying together through the gospel of Mark. Last week, Resiko was up here flipping tables, throwing things. Uh, It was a good time as we looked at uh, an account from Mark chapter 11. Today, we jump into Mark chapter 12. Mark chapter 12, if you want to start turning there. The title of today's message is, What is Love? And if you're not too embarrassed to admit it, how many of you the words, baby don't hurt me, just went through your brain? And how many of you are fighting like a reflex? Like you just want to start doing this a little bit. Like anybody? Okay. What is love? We're going to see uh, what we can learn about the topic of love from Mark chapter twelve. We're going to be starting in verse twenty-eight. But if you are there, whether it's in your your good old-fashioned paper Bible, your phone, your tablet, however you engage with the Word, uh, if you're to Mark chapter twelve, let me hear you say "Word." Word, all right. So we're going to jump right in. Verse 28 says this, one of the scribes approached. Let's rewind. Back in week two of this series, we met the scribes and the Pharisees. Do you guys remember that? All right, so we have the scribes. These are those, they're literate religious leaders, right? They could read, they could write. They were experts in the law. And so now you have this scribe coming to Jesus. And he's been kind of observing the, the other interactions that have taken place over the course of Mark chapter 12. I would encourage you over the, the next week, jump in, read Mark chapter 12 in its entirety. Right? But the scribe, is, he's kind of paying attention. And based on what he has observed, he goes to Jesus. And, he, and he's, he's paying attention to Jesus, kind of debating with some people. And it says that he saw that Jesus answered well. So the scribe asks Jesus, he says, which command is the most important of all? Remember, the scribe, he's, he's a legal scholar. He's very familiar with the commands. And he says, out of all of these commands, which one is most important? And Jesus answers him. He says, the most important is, listen, Israel. The Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and with all your strength. This would have rang very familiar to the Jewish audience that Jesus has. This is known as the Shema. Everybody say Shema. Right? This was a daily prayer that they would use. Right now, you could, if you find Pastor Ryan in the in the lobby afterwards, I'll 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 put him on the spot. He can he can recite the Shema in Hebrew, which is what Jewish people still do to this day. Right, but this is a a, a piece of parchment that has Shema Israel written four times on it. Right, so this is something very rich in Jewish history. Right, but Jesus says that's the one, that's the greatest commandment, and he says the second is. Love your neighbor, which is also from their law. If you go back through the Old Testament in Deuteronomy chapter six, you'll find the the Shema and you also find, not in Deuteronomy six, but you find this command, love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus says, there's no other command greater than these. Then the scribe said to him, you are right, teacher. Don't you love this? Here's this guy, he's talking to Jesus, God incarnate. And he's like, you know what? You're, you're right. You got, I'm going to give you a gold star because you, you got the right answer. How many teachers do we have in the, in the room today, right? Like, what, do you think it would be kind of annoying, actually, Like, if you had Jesus as one of your students? I mean, have you? Because <laughs> you're like, I'm trying to teach you. How, why, how does he always have the right answers? But the scribe says, you're right. You have correctly said. And so not only is he going to tell Jesus, oh, Jesus, you're right. He's going to expound on this. He says, not only have you said <laughs> there's no one else except him. He says, and, and to love him with all of our heart. And he's, he's just reiterating this law. With all your understanding, all your strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself. This is, this is important. He says, this is far more important than all the burnt offerings and sacrifices. Last week, Rasika talked a little bit about some of the sacrifices that they would do, right? Once a year, you have this sacrifice for atonement, for the forgiveness of sins. They have this whole system of sacrifice. And, and frequently, over history with the Jewish people, you're excited about it, aren't you? I love it. I love it. But God told his people time and again, to obey is better than sacrifice. To obey is better. Like, man, you guys are so wrapped up in the sacrificial system that like, you guys are missing some of the, the, the bigger themes that you're supposed to be chasing after. But this scribe says, you're right, loving God and loving my neighbor, those are more important than all the sacrifices. I'm kind of sad that she's leaving now. That was, was like I was like a happy little voice. <laughs> when Jesus saw that he, the scribe, had answered wisely, he said to him, you are not far from the kingdom of God. And no one dared question him any longer. So you have this interaction. The scribe comes to Jesus. He says, out of all these commands that we have, what's most important? And Jesus tells him. And the scribe is like, whoa, that's, that was a good answer. Good answer. Now, I would suggest to you here today, right, as, as we talk about uh, discipleship a lot here at Radiant Life Church, and we didn't come up with a that's, a that's a biblical concept, right? Discipleship, following Jesus, being an apprentice of Jesus, I would suggest to you that a mark of our discipleship is obedience to the commands of Jesus obedience to the commands of Jesus. If we want to claim that we are following Jesus, I think we would do well to look at the things that Jesus told us to do and ask ourselves the question, am I doing those things? Am I obeying what he's called me to? Now, I don't know if we have any trades people in the, in the room, right? But if, but if I were to go to uh, a master electrician and say, hey, I want to learn how to be an electrician. I want to be your apprentice, right? I'm I'm in a a posture of like, hey, I want to become a master electrician. And then as we go on to a job, the the master electrician says, all right, here's how you do this. And I just said, nah, I don't want to do that. Or he's like, hey, here's how you do this aspect of the job. And I'm like, well, I don't want to do it that way. Like how how good of an electrician am I going to become? I'm not. Yeah, you don't want me working on your electric. Like, as an apprentice, I put myself in the place of saying, hey, here's somebody who knows I'm going to do what they tell me to do. It's the same way with Jesus. But I think some of us were like, oh, yeah, I'm following Jesus. Well, uh, are you living the way he calls you to live? Well, you know, I don't like some. No. Nah. Are you really an apprentice of Jesus then? I think obedience is one of the marks of our discipleship. And as we look at this text in Mark chapter 12, we see that Jesus commands us to do two things. He tells us to love God, and he tells us to love people. Let's zoom in on that first one, right? He says, "He says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. That word that we translate love, and I said this in first service, I'll do another shameless plug for the Radiant Reflections podcast. Tomorrow morning, Pastor JB and I will sit down to record another episode. There are multiple words for love, right? The Greek language is very rich, all kinds of different types of love. But we're going we're to drill into what Jesus is talking about here. And that's the Greek word agapao. Everybody say agapao. Agapao. Have you ever heard of agape love? If you've hung out in church. So agape, that's a noun. So in a passage that we'll read here a little bit, when it describes love, it uses the noun form, agape. The verb form is agapao. Everybody say agapao. Alright, so love, what Jesus is calling us to here, is a verb. Any DC Talk fans in the house? Remember that song from a while ago? It was a couple years ago, maybe. Like 35 years ago. I don't know. But love is a verb. So, where Jesus tells us here to love the Lord your God, this is something that we are called to do. It is an action. It is an action. Any and, he, and th- this word that we use, this is the definition. It says to have a strong non-sexual affection. There is there is a different type of love, eros, erotic or romantic love. We'll talk about that on the podcast. But this is a strong non-sexual affection and love for a person and their good, that's important, as understood by God's moral character, that's important, especially characterized by a willing forfeiture of rights, that's important, in another person's behalf. One of the other ways you see this used is to have a great affection or care for or loyalty towards. So Jesus is saying, hey, you are to agapao, the Lord your God. And this is a pretty rich word, right? You look at that, that part down there, that forfeiture of rights. That doesn't, that doesn't preach real well in the United States. But this is a forfeiture of our rights on another person's behalf. But when it comes to our relationship to God, a word that you've you've probably heard in church a time or two, in fact we sang it in a song repeatedly last week, is the word surrender. I'm giving up my rights, any claim I might have towards something, I give that up. So what does that look like when it comes to our love of God? Jesus says love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, with all your strength. I would suggest to you here today that loving God is not only a spiritual activity. Sometimes we, we, we bifurcate our, our lives and we say, oh, these are the spiritual things over here and then there's the whole rest of my life. And things like loving God, we think those belong over in this neighborhood and those can just stay in that nice tidy box. But it doesn't work that way if you would allow me the freedom to paraphrase what Jesus says here, I would say this. Jesus tells us to love the Lord your God with all your emotional capacity, all your spiritual capacity, all your mental capacity, and all of your physical capacity. So every, every part of who we are, our emotions, our spiritual core our cognition, and our physical bodies, all of those are things that we are called to bring to the table in our pursuit of loving God. And we see some of these themes pop up elsewhere in Scripture. Paul is writing to the church in Ephesus, and he says, be angry and do not sin. Sometimes in church world, right, we, we kind of like, we think, oh, well, there are good emotions and there are bad emotions. It, is, it isn't like that. Right? There's, there are healthy and unhealthy ways to exercise our emotions. He doesn't say, don't get angry. Scripture tells us to be slow to become angry. doesn't say, don't get angry. There are things that should make us angry. He says, be angry, but in that place of anger, do not sin. This is taking our emotions and submitting them to the lordship of Jesus saying, Lord, this is what I'm feeling. How do I exercise this in a way that still honors you? That's loving God with all of our heart, all of our emotional capacity. And you could apply that to any of our emotions. Have we submitted all of those things to Jesus? Several years ago, I think this was actually during lockdown, pastor Brandon did a message and he talked about this idea of of sometimes we let the emotions drive the train, so to speak. Our emotions should never drive the train. Jesus should always drive the train. Have we submitted those to his lordship regarding the spiritual capacity that we have in a conversation that he had with a a woman at the well, excuse me, Jesus says this. He says, An hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in what? Spirit and in truth. Yes, the Father wants such people to worship him. God is spirit. That, that is the, the essence of his being. And those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. So there is a spiritual reality. And we're called to submit that to Jesus. You hear a lot of talk about people who are spiritual, and a lot of these spiritual discussions out there have nothing to do with Jesus. I would encourage you to avoid those conversations. Any spiritual that isn't married to Jesus is going to hell in a handbasket, like, quite literally. I mean, for real. Any spirituality apart from Jesus will not get you where you want to be. Paul, in his conversation with the Romans, right, we talk about the physical capacity that we have. He hits on both the physical and the mental capacity in these couple of verses. In Romans 12, he says, Therefore, brothers and sisters, in view of the mercies of God, I urge you to present your what? Bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true worship. He continues, do not be conformed to this age, but be transformed by the renewing of what? Your mind. So that you may discern what is the good, pleasing, and perfect will of God. In the the letter to the Corinthian church, Paul kind of likens the, the Christian faith to an athlete running a race. And he makes this statement. He says, instead, I discipline my what? My body, and I bring it under strict control so that after preaching to others, I myself will not be disqualified. In our series, More, we talked about spiritual disciplines. If you do listen to the podcast, Pastor JB and I talk a lot about spiritual disciplines. These are often physical practices that have significant spiritual ramifications. But Paul says, man, I discipline my body. So when it comes to loving God, I would suggest to you that loving God is not only a spiritual activity. activity. Loving God is the surrender of every aspect of our life. Every part of who I am is to be brought to bear in my pursuit of loving God. You guys tracking with me? So I want to encourage you over this next week to sit in in, in a bit of reflection and ask yourself this question. What areas of my life, emotional, spiritual, mental, physical, are not surrendered to God? Are there aspects of who I am that I haven't given over to the lordship of Jesus? I said, hey, I'll do the spiritual thing. Like, that's cool. I can love God spiritually, but man, I've, I've got kind of my own my own thought life going on. I kind of like I like this space all just to myself. This is my own little world. I'm gonna keep it that way. Scripture tells us to take every thought captive and make it obedient to Christ. Paul tells us in Philippians chapter 4 to think about the things that are good and right and admirable and true. So we have a filter. These are things that are allowed in the mind of a follower of Jesus. And so as we as we catch ourselves thinking certain things, we say, wait, is this good? Is this true? Is this lovely? Is this admirable? If it isn't, we take every thought captive and make it obedient to Christ. You say, you know what? That doesn't need to be in there. I don't know about you, but there are times where like my brain goes down some trails that it really has no business going down. And you've got a couple of options in that situation. You could entertain those things like, well, yeah, that that would be kind of nice. Uh Oh, yeah. Well, what would that be like? You you could go different, or you could say, "No, you know what? That isn't in line with what Jesus calls me to." Let's let's get that right out of there. We take every thought captive, make it obedient to Christ. But are there areas that we haven't given over to Jesus? Are our emotions driving the train? Physically, do we engage in some of those disciplines? Do we exercise any sort of discipline in our physical reality? There's a scripture that references people and it says their God is their stomach. They're driven by their appetites. It's not said in a good way, but just in case you wondered, do we exercise physical discipline? So I encourage you this week, sit in that reflection. Then let's move into the second part of what Jesus tells us. Jesus says, Hey, I want you to love God, but you also have to love people. And the love that he calls us to love people with is the same love he calls us to love God with. Agapa'o. Everybody say, Agapa'o. Agapao. This is a love for a person and their good. You can't stop there because it's their good as understood by God's moral character. God is the only one who can define what good truly is. And so our pursuit of somebody else's good has to be in line with his definitions. Does that make sense? Characterized by a willing forfeiture of rights or privileges in another person's behalf. So this is what Jesus calls us to, and and it's important that we recognize this, right? God defines love. It is who he is. We'll read a scripture here in a moment that talks about that. So I would suggest to you that real love, true love, will be a reflection of God's design and definitions. Our culture has so twisted the idea of love we've elevated, I, again, I mentioned earlier, right, that eros, that erotic love, romantic love, we've elevated that to be the supreme love and the, the kind of the trickle-down effects of that have been uh, a little bit scary, right? Why do, why do people find so much of their identity in their sexuality? Because we've elevated the wrong love. So we need to look at God's definitions, and say, okay, if I want to honor God in the way that I love other people, right, if this is a command that he has called us to, and if I want to obey as a disciple of Jesus, I should probably find out what that actually means to him. He gets to define it because it's who he is. John, one of the 12 apostles, writes this in First John chapter 4. He says, dear friends, let us love one another because love is from who? And everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. The one who does not love does not know God because God is, Pastor Ryan has talked about this, the the cultural uh, twisting of this. In scripture, it says that God is love. Our culture says love is God. Again, it's that unhealthy elevation. saying, oh, well, it's just, You just got to love everybody. Babe, I got you, babe. I mean, like Sonny and Cher, pretty sure they got divorced. So something was busted there. Uh, Maybe they didn't have the right kind of love. John continues later in that same passage. He says, we love because he, God, first loved us. If anyone says, I love God, yet hates his brother or sister, he is a liar show hands whose your goal in life is to be a liar anybody anybody like you, you woke up this morning think like, who can I lie to today? But actions speak louder than words. he says if you claim to love God but you don't love your brother or sister which isn't just a biological reference. he's writing to the family of God in Christ you and I are brothers and sisters. so if, he says if you don't love one another but you claim to love God you're a liar for the person who does not love his brother or sister, whom he can see, right? If I can't love this person who's right in front of me, he says, then you you definitely can't love God whom you cannot see. He says, and we have this command from him. The one who loves God must also love his brother and sister. Now, John didn't come up with this all on his own. I mean, I'm sure John was a pretty smart guy. He didn't come up with this. He took this from Jesus, Jesus taught his disciples when he was there in the flesh. He told them, I, Jesus, give you, the disciples, a new command. Love one another just as I have loved you. You are also to love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. We prove our love of God by how we love people. And the same Love, right? We can say, well, hey, okay, maybe I can go along with that. I can love the people that are in here, you know, my brothers and sisters in Christ. I can love you guys. But the same love that Jesus calls us to love God with is the same type of love that he calls us to love one another with, which is the same type of love he calls us to extend to our enemies. In Matthew chapter 6, when he talks about loving our enemies, we are to agapao our enemies. Husbands in the room, in Ephesians chapter 5, we are exhorted to love our wives as Christ loved the church. We are called to agapao our wives. Let's rewind. What does that mean? A willing forfeiture of my rights for somebody else's good. Do we love our wives like that? That is the call of Christ. And the way that we do that is how we actually demonstrate whether or not we love God. Because if we're not loving horizontally, there's, there's nothing happening vertically. You guys tracking with me? Now Paul, in his letter to the Corinthians, He's having a conversation about the spiritual aspect of our faith. He's talking about spiritual gifts. And he's talking about how every follower of Jesus has a spiritual gift. And it, it's kind of a weird shift because he goes from that conversation into what uh, a passage that we often hear read at weddings. It's called the love chapter, right? 1 Corinthians 13. That comes right on the, on the tail of, of 1 Corinthians 12, which is a conversation about spiritual gifts. And Paul says this. He says, if I speak human or angelic tongues, which is a spiritual gift, but do not have love, I'm a noisy what? I'm a noisy gong. You ever like just sat there and listened? Anyone play gong in the you know, school band at all? Like you're just, your job was just a bong. Like, like that's all you did? No? <laughs> no, because you don't usually just, you play that to wake somebody up, to be like, how obnoxious of a noise can I make that's gonna get everybody out of bed, right? Gongs are not real pleasant to listen to. He said, I could have this spiritual gift. I could walk in this spiritual reality, but if it's not paired with love, I'm just, I'm noise, He says, if I have the gifts of prophecy, another spiritual gift, and understand all the mysteries and all knowledge, other spiritual gifts, and if I have all faith, another spiritual gift, so that I can move mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. And if I give away all my possessions, giving, that's a spiritual gift that he talks about, and if I give over my body in order to boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. So go back to that conversation we had just a few minutes ago. If we think of it only in terms of spiritual, we're missing it. Because he's saying you could be moving and grooving spiritually, but it's worthless if it's not paired with love. You guys tracking with me? And then he goes ahead and defines for us what love actually looks like. So this is where the noun form, agape, agape, shows up. He says, agape, love, is patient. It's kind. It does not envy. It doesn't boast. It's not arrogant. It's not rude. It's not self-seeking. That one stings me just a little bit sometimes. Anyone else in the room, you're self-seeking sometimes? He says, that's not love. He says, it's not irritable. It doesn't keep a record of wrongs. That one can be challenging, right? You get in a little bit of conflict, maybe with your spouse. And they're like, well, yeah, but do you remember like 12 years ago when you man blah, blah, blah. man? I mean, that's the real thing. And I'm not trying to minimize like crap that's happened. But if we're just constantly hanging on to the things of the past and we've got that record of wrongs, is, is that love? It says it keeps no record of wrongs love finds no joy in unrighteousness but rejoices in what the truth it bears all things believes all things hopes all things endures all things that's hard he says but this is this is what love is this is the definition of love this is what Jesus calls us to that's hard but as we talk about love, right, this it's important to remember that love is not a demand we make of others. It is a demand that Jesus makes of us towards others. Sometimes we get this backwards, right? And maybe you've, you've been on the receiving end. Hopefully you've not been on the delivering end of this. But if you've ever you've ever heard that, well, if you really loved me, you would. We've just, we've just taken love and we've totally distorted love what it is we're trying to leverage love for our benefit that's that's not love but sometimes we do that because again by nature we are self-seeking we kind of think pretty highly i mean i don't know i kind of think i'm pretty all right sometimes and you know what? I think everybody else should think I'm pretty all right. Sometimes, you know, and we and we get going down that. And, but it's not about us. Right? This is not something I cannot demand that any other brother or sister in Christ. I can't demand that Frank one another to me. I can't make that demand up. But you do, right there, right there, brother. <laughs> That is a demand that Jesus makes of us. At the end of the day, I have to answer to Jesus to whether or not I obeyed. I'm not responsible for whether or not anybody else obeyed that command when it comes to me. But he's going to say, hey, Josh, how well did you love people? And I have to answer for that. It's not a demand we make of others. It's a demand Jesus makes of us. So let's go through that list one more time, just in case we forgot. What is love? It's patient. It's kind. Does not envy. It's not boastful. It's not arrogant. It's not rude. It's not self-seeking, not irritable. Does not keep a record of wrongs. It finds no joy in unrighteousness, but rejoices in the truth. It bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. So the next time you gaze lovingly into somebody's eyes and say, I love you. (laughs) This is what you're signing up for. And that's hard. So the other reflection I want you to spend time in this week as you uh, read through... Uh, mark twelve is is this in light of god 's definition of love, who are you not really loving right now maybe it 's a boss maybe it 's a coworker maybe it 's your spouse maybe it 's one of your children, a neighbor. you fill in those blanks if if we grab onto the idea that God gets to define what love is, and he tells us what it is. And he says, this is how you are to love people, your brothers and sisters in Christ, your enemies, your spouse. Hopefully those two categories aren't the same. (laughs) Took a second. There (laughs) This is how you are to love everybody if I'm really honest with myself, who am I not loving right now? Now, I think we have to really kind of zoom in on God's definition because our culture has so twisted what it means to love. Love is not blind tolerance because at its core, love is about promoting somebody else's good as defined by God. It is not loving to allow somebody to believe a lie. We don't just say, oh, well, hey, you know, like if that's your truth, that's your truth. No, like there's the truth and there is a lie. It is not loving to let somebody persist in a lie. You know, there are are parents whose philosophy of parenting and I'm not trying to pick on you if you're in, well, I kind of am, I kind of am. But sometimes parents approach with this philosophy of, like, well, like, you know, I don't, I don't really want to tell my kids, like, how they should live their lives. Like, that's your only job as a parent. <laughs> is to tell your kids how to live their life. But sometimes we want, we want to be our kids' Friends. And just kind of like be buddy-buddy. But guess what? If you approach it as you just want to be your kid's friend and you're just letting them do whatever, then you're a crappy friend too. You're a bad parent and you're a crappy friend. Like, I don't know. Any angry feedback you can send to Ryan Bibb? At... <laughs> no, don't do that. Don't do that. I'll own my stuff right here. <laughs> You can be mad at me. How are, how are you doing loving people? Who defines love? Functionally, for you, by the way that you live, what is your working definition of love? Is it this anything-goes kind of business? Because that's not love. Is it where you, you, you avoid conflict? Well, I don't want to rock the boat, you know, because I, I want to be loving towards this person. no, no. no. Conflict is not anti love sometimes there's there needs to be a a little iron sharpening iron kind of thing. Right. Love can be uncomfortable. Who defines love to you if it 's God, then ask this question over this coming week c s Lewis had a, a really cool quote that I found i love c s lewis brilliant brilliant thinker, brilliant writer and he gives us some practical tips cuz maybe you're like, "Well, how do I how do I do this? How do I actually love people well?" And C.S. Lewis says, "Don't waste time bothering whether you love your neighbor. Act as if you did." As soon as we do this, we find one of the great secrets. When you are behaving as if you loved someone, you will presently come to love him. She's so like, "Ah, oh, man, I just don't know." start living your life as though you loved this person? Your boss, your coworkers, your spouse, your neighbor. What if you, what if you woke up every morning and you said, how, do, what would it look like for me to love this person in a, in a godly way? And then you just went about as though you loved that person in a godly way. And I would agree with C.S. Lewis at some point you will actually love that person. something to think about Jesus says love God love people that's it elsewhere he says this sums up the law and the prophets all this stuff is summed up in these two commands so I would suggest we maybe focus on getting these two things right Man, we get legalistic and picky about all kinds of stuff when Jesus says nope if you get these two things right like that's it so how about we be people who love well? Amen. I'm going to have the worship team come up at this time. I'm also going I'm going to invite our prayer partners uh, up to the to the to the sides too. I was challenged. This is that ironing sharpening iron. iron ironing? Ironing? It's not ironing. Like shh. I tried one time and I burned a hole in the shirt. So I've never tried to iron I've never tried to iron again. Iron sharpening iron after first service I had a guy come up to me and he was uh he wasn't upset he was actually he was super cool a guy named Dan he came up to me and he says hey he says you talk about loving God and loving people he says but you didn't you didn't put an invitation out there for people who have never entered into that relationship He says, man because scripture tells us we can't know love apart from God so without a relationship with Jesus you can't actually get this right it's wholly dependent on the power of Holy Spirit working within you. So I re- I received what what our brother Dan said. So if you are here and you're you're challenged, you're kind of wrestling with this this morning. You're like, man, I've I've never actually entered into a relationship with Jesus. Man, I feel challenged. I feel called. I do want to love God, and I want to be able to love people in the way that He calls us to. Thanks for listening to this message from Radiant Life Church. To get to know us better, check out the Radiant Life. Church. Be sure to follow us on Facebook, YouTube, and Instagram.